Peter chapter 1. We're going to cover the first 17 verses tonight. I titled this message tonight, uh, The Greatest Lever, Letter Ever Written. And as you know, you see our theme for this whole book is Righteousness Revealed. That's going to be throughout the whole book, Righteousness Revealed. We're actually going to talk about it tonight. But I just thought I would add a little bit more to it. Like, this is the greatest letter. And many theologians have said the book of Romans is the greatest letter that's ever been written. And I think you're going to understand. I want to do some background information. We know who the author is, the Apostle Paul. And one of the interesting things about Paul, his name used to be Saul. He was born in Tarsus. His, his dad was a uh, Jewish Pharisee, but he was also a Roman citizen. And it was unique how God selected Paul to be the evangelist of the Gentile world. Because not only was he Jewish, but he was also a Roman citizen. It gave him great advantages. So as, as a Jewish person, he had the name Saul. You know, think about King Saul, the first king. But then his name was changed to Paul, which was a, a Roman, a Greek, actually a Greek name. And it's interesting because the, the word Paul means little. You think about, he operated in humility. Saul, obviously, his name meant requested one, but Paul was little. I think it's a picture of the humility. And I really believe that he allowed that name change because he wanted to reach beyond the Jewish people. Peter had the main role of reaching a lot of the Jewish people, and so did some of the other apostles, but Paul's was mainly to the Gentile world. Uh, like I said, his dad was a Pharisee. He studied under a rabbi, uh, Gamaliel, and he was a very famous rabbi in Jerusalem. So most of his upbringing tended to be in Jerusalem. And he was a zealot. He was so sold out for the Jewish uh, religion that he became a persecutor of Christians, trying to stamp out Christianity because he saw it as a threat to Judaism. And, of course, God had no problem in reaching him on that road to Damascus where he was going to go and persecute more Christians, get him thrown into jail, and so forth. And after that, Paul's life radically changed where he wrote most of the New Testament books. You're going to see the word he was obligated, he felt like tonight in, in one of the verses, where he wanted to go and share his faith. And one of them was to, uh, the, the, like I said, the Gentile world, and, you know, the headquarters of the Gentile world was Rome, the Roman Empire. And so that was the most prominent city of the day. That's why this is such an important letter. He wrote this letter from Corinth at about 56 or 57 A.D. We believe that Paul was probably born around the same time of Christ. It puts him around that same, you know, time and so forth. And he was on his third missionary journey, getting ready to go to Jerusalem for the last time when he wrote this letter. Now, he's writing it to Christ followers in the city of Rome, to a church there. He wanted to go there and preach, but he couldn't. He kept getting detained, stopped, different obstacles in his place. And so he, since he wanted to go there, it's a very unique letter because all of his other letters that he wrote to churches were to correct problems because he had been there. He maybe started the church. He knew the leadership. And so he's writing letters to correct problems. He didn't do that with Rome. The Romans, this letter is really to, to share much more of deep theological doctrine. 
probably the most doctrine-rich book that we have in the, in the Scriptures. Now, he had a message in here, obviously, about Jesus coming, not only for the Jewish people, but for the Gentiles. And part of it is he's going to talk about the importance of Israel, why Israel was uh, so important in the life of, of, the, of the, even of the Christians. Uh, the book also tells of the Holy Spirit's role of living in us to bring us a new life of freedom that we have, how to live for Jesus, how to mature, how we, the Holy Spirit has sealed us for our redemption in heaven. And, uh, you know, because many people in Israel were rejecting Christianity, the, the Christians became very persecuted, which caused the spread of Christianity beyond Israel. If you were here a few weeks ago when I taught on the Holy Spirit, I don't know what that was, two weeks ago, I, I used Romans 1.8. It talked about the power of the Holy Spirit come upon us so we'd be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the world. Well, the first seven chapters or so of Acts, the Christians stayed in Jerusalem. That was not the will of God. Jesus wanted them to go and take the gospel throughout the world. What did the Christians do? They stayed in Jerusalem, where it was comfortable, where they were all hanging out together. You know what God allowed? In Acts 8, verse 1, persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and it caused the Christians to scatter. Likely, the church in Rome got started because there was a group of Roman, we know this in the book of Acts, there was a group of people from Rome there on the day of Pentecost when the early church, you know, the Spirit came down upon the church, day of Pentecost, and probably some people then went back to Rome and they started a church because this church was not started by Paul. We don't know exactly how it got started, but we know there was people from Rome on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, so they probably went back after the persecution broke out. Now, I have a very simple overview of the book of Romans. There's 16 chapters. Let's look at it up on the screen. Chapters 1 through 8 is really the gospel explained, and the gospel explained in a lot of detail, that righteousness that comes through our faith in Jesus Christ by grace. Chapters 9 through 11 is the importance of Israel. That is going to be really important for us because some of you have been taught that the church has replaced Israel. We do not believe that. There's a, there a teaching out there. It's called replacement theology. That's not something we ascribe to. We believe that we've been grafted into. We're like the spiritual Jews, but we're not the genetic Jews. But God is not done with Israel. And we know as we went through the book of Revelation that God is going to do a lot in the nation of Israel in the end times. And then chapters 12 through 16 is the gospel in, in our everyday life. Very much more on the practical side. So the first eight is going to be a lot of deeper doctrine. And then towards the end, a lot more practical how to live it out in our lives. So everybody makes sense for everybody and how we're going to see this as we go through this uh, book. I'm excited that we're going through it. I think you guys are all going to be blessed. Bring someone next time. One of the hardest passages comes next week. Pastor Brian will be up here teaching it. Yeah, and if you have young kids, you probably don't want to have them in the service next week, okay? I'll just say that. You can skip ahead and understand why, but Pastor Brian, he's well-equipped for the. <laughs> so let's go on. Chapter 1, verse 1. It starts out with Paul, 
a servant of Jesus Christ. Let me just stop right there. There's just so much right there. In the books of the Bible, the authors were generally put at the very beginning of the letters. You know why? Because there were scrolls. You wouldn't want to have to unroll it all the way to the end to find out who wrote this. Now, today, what do we do? We, we sign it at the end of a letter because it's easy to jump down. Who wrote me? Oh, okay, I can see that. But in biblical times, they would put the author at the beginning. So he says he identifies himself as Paul, and then he says a servant of Christ Jesus. We'll t- come back to that in just a moment. Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. According to his son, who as an earthly life was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There is so much just in those verses right there. Let's just unpack it a little bit. First of all, we see that Paul was set apart as an apostle. Um, sometimes people today will have the title of apostle. Really, they're, they're probably little A apostles. The big A apostles, there was the apostles that, as we know of them as the disciples, but an apostle, apostle was one who was called by Jesus and sent out by Jesus. Now, we know he did that with his 12, minus Judas, obviously. They tried to pick one at the end of of uh, Acts uh, chapter 1, but we don't know. We never heard anything more about that one. I really believe the 12th one to replace Judas was Paul. And where was he called and where was he sent out? On that road to D- Damascus. He was called. G- Jesus is the one who sent him and gave him a, a ministry to go and reach the Gentiles. So he was an apostle. He saw that as his role. Now, another interesting thing that you see there is in verse 2. It says, the gospel promised beforehand through his prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied about the Messiah coming. Such things as that he would be born to a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would also come out of Egypt. We know that we read, I was teaching just a few weeks ago about the, the Palm Sunday and, and about even riding in on a donkey. All prophesied that he would heal the blind, that the lame would be healed. All these different things. And when you go into like places like Psalm 22, you'll see a picture of the crucifixion. Pierced hands and feet. He was constantly pro- it was constantly prophesied. But did the people see it? Did they, were they ready for him? Most of them were not. But you know what's also prophesied in the Old Testament? His second coming. And are people ready? Are people seeing it? You know, a lot of people aren't going to be ready for the second coming. Jesus has given us these prophecies. We studied a bunch of them when we were going through the book of Zechariah. We studied them in the book of Revelation, throughout the scriptures, his second coming. We all don't have the excuse of not being ready because we teach the whole Bible here, and you all should be ready because God has given us these prophecies, prophecies on his first coming and on his second coming. So that's in in verse 2. In verse 3, we see that really, you know, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we see that right there in verse 3. Look at it says, regarding his son who in his earthly life was a descendant of David. That refers to that he was fully man. It was a descendant of David. 
But then we see through the spirit of holiness, he was, a, he was also the son of God, fully God. Jesus was not half and half, fully God, fully man. Can I understand that, Get, wrap my mind completely around that? No. But he's a God that's way beyond me, and I just have to trust and believe that. So we see that, um, but I want to go back to verse 1 for a moment, and that is, Paul, how does he identify himself to this group of people he's never met? What's the first thing he says about himself? A servant. Doulos is in the uh, Greek. Doulos is a complete and utter devotion. It's a voluntary slave or bondservant. Some of your versions might say a bondservant. It's a slave by choice or servant. That's the first thing Paul identifies himself with. It's not like he's first an apostle. I'm the apostle. First thing is, he's a, uh, and so as you're taking notes, this is a good thing for all of us. Followers of Jesus must first be servants. Serving is not just something we do. Do you see yourself as a servant of Jesus? Or do you see like, well, you know, I suppose I should serve. I, I don't know. You know, they keep talking about serving God. I suppose I should serve. Don't have servants as just something you can do, like it's a, some type of choice. We also are called to serve. And I have some scriptures for us up on the screen. Let's take a look at it. Mark 10, verse 45, talks about Jesus. And if we're followers of Jesus, he is our role model. It says this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. And unfortunately, that's what many people want to be in our life in this world today. They want to be served. But Jesus didn't. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's our role model. We saw that even in the upper room story where he washed the disciples' feet a couple weeks ago in the book of John. And then look at John 12, verse 26. It says this, whoever serves me must follow me. You don't see that. There's no separation there. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Is there any doubt what we should be? If you're a Christ follower, you should be a servant. It's not really an option. It's who we are. That's how Paul saw himself, because we're a follower of Jesus. Now, if we're a follower of ourselves, then we can say, well, I want people to serve me. But then you're not a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of yourself. So we see that there. Now, we know the whole purpose of this book is also found in verse 1. It says he's called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. I want to do a real quick little recap of the gospel. And you're going to see it in different parts as we go through these different chapters. First of all, we have all sinned. We've sinned in thought, word, and deed. Every one of us, we have a sin nature. You don't have to teach children, little babies, how to sin. They, already, they bring it into the world. And we, serve, we sin by action, by nature, by action. We're all sinners. And that's, you're going to see that starting next week. Sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. He cannot allow sin to enter into his, into his um, uh, presence. It separates us from holy God. It's, it's a broken relationship because of sin, broke the relationship between God and man. 
No good works will ever save us. The next part, we're going to see that throughout. We can't ever be good enough. Some are going to be better than others, but we can never be good enough. That Jesus came born of a virgin, so important because by being born of the virgin, he bypassed the sin nature. Otherwise, if he wouldn't have been born to a virgin, he would have had a sin nature just like us. But he bypassed that. He was fully God, fully man. And his sacrificial death on the cross was a substitutionary um, payment for our sins. He went to that cross. He paid what our debt. That's Again, this is all part of the gospel. And his resurrection proved that the sacrifice was received, that God says, yes, I take this, and that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And then, in other words, everything that Jesus said about himself and about the Father was true. Anybody who can predict his own death and then actually rise from the dead and predict that, I would say they're God. Nobody else can do that. And then that we, our role is to surrender our life to Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, and then the Holy Spirit lives in us and through us, and it's all by grace. We, we, do, we can't earn it. We receive it by faith, but it's by grace. That's a little bit of the gospel in review. That's what we're going to see as we move through this book. Verse 5, through him, again, talking about Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith in his name's sake. So, you know, this message is really written for us. If you were to read the book of Hebrews, it was written towards a group of Jewish believers. But this was written to a group of Gentile believers, which probably 99% of us are, I see at least one person out there I know, there he is, hands up, that he's a, a Jewish believer. But most of us are Gentiles. So Paul received this apostleship to reach the Gentiles. And in verse 6 says, and you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. I like this because Paul says he, he received the apostleship. Our ministry isn't something we just really work really hard for. We receive it. We don't, it's not like we, I have to attain this. I actually kind of ran from the calling of God on my life for a while, but God wouldn't let me go. He kept calling me and calling me until finally I had to say yes. I wish I would have said yes a lot earlier. But he's the one who calls, and he's, but he's called all of us to unique and different. You may not be called to be a pastor, but we're all called to do ministry. We all have a role. It's always about Jesus. It's interesting because as Christ followers, we all belong to Jesus. We're not our own. These Romans... And it happened in, throughout the Roman Empire. They were forced by the government to confess that Caesar was Lord. Christians wouldn't do it. That's why many of them were persecuted, were martyred. Because Caesar wanted to be God. So he confessed, the people had to confess, Caesar is Lord. Christians wouldn't do it. Their allegiance to, us, to Jesus Christ. That's why even one of the confessions, and we'll get to it in uh, Romans 10 where we confess that Jesus is Lord, contrast to Caesar, okay? Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, some of your versions might say saints, 
We are saints. Some of you came from backgrounds where only special people were called saints after they died, and maybe a committee got together and decided this person was a saint. Well, you know, we can honor certain people and call them that, whatever. But as a Christ follower, we're all saints, which means holy people. We're called out by God. If you're, if you're a Christ follower, you're a saint, okay? Now, don't do a little statue of yourself on your dash, Okay? Just saying. Don't take it too far. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout uh, the books of the Bible, these letters, you'll see that grace and peace. It's always in that order. If you want the peace of God, you know what you have to receive first? Grace. Grace comes first. We receive the grace, and then we can have the peace. If you're seeking peace without the grace... Probably not going to receive it. I just want to say to you all as Christ followers that you are loved by God, just like these people were loved by God. You know, in Rome, we're his church here. We're here in West Melbourne. We're loved by God. We're called to be the holy people and grace and peace to you. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And I just stop and say that. You know, as your senior pastor, I thank the Lord for each and every one of you. We had a pizza with a pastor this past Sunday. We had to cut it off early. We had 44 people in there, all new people to church. It was just a blessing to see. God bringing all these new people. Yeah, you can give a hand for that. I see some of them here tonight. And uh, it's just wonderful what God's doing. But you know what? This is a wonderful place of where God is bringing people together. If you haven't noticed around here on the weekend, there's a lot of new people, a lot of kids. We see it in our kids' ministry. Do you know when we went to 9 o'clock, our kids' ministry numbers jumped by 50%, and 11 o'clock stayed about the same. Yeah, it just made it easier for people to come to church and so forth. But uh, where was I going? I don't know. Anyway, but I thank God for you. That's where I was. I was thanking God for you as a church. And you know the number one way a church grows is by the people who are going there inviting someone. It's not through some slick marketing campaign. It's not postcards, billboards. It's not websites. The number one way that a church grows is personal invitations. And when you're excited about your church, and you feel like God is here, and he's speaking to you, and you feel the presence of God in worship, and the word of God is ch- changing you, don't you want to tell someone about it? That's how a church grows. And I see it happening because, see, you guys must be doing it because it's, it's growing. Okay, let's go on. So Paul says this, I thank God through Jesus for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. We're going to come back to that. Your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit is, is in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, how I constantly, how I remember you in my prayers at all times. I pray that now at least, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. See, Paul wanted to come so badly to this church, but he kept being prevented. So he finally couldn't take it any longer, so what did he do? He wrote a letter, and he's going to send it, to the church because he couldn't make it there. He wanted to get through that 
so bad. And because Rome was the center of culture, the center of the politics, the military, it was in control of most of the world at that time. Here's what Paul thought. If I can really get more and more people saved in Rome, the gospel's going to spread throughout the world that much faster. It's like if we said, boy, if we could get a bunch of people saved in Washington, D.C., boy, it's going to spread that much faster. You can pray, okay? But that's what Paul, his attitude was. But he couldn't come because of being prevented, so he sent this letter. But look what he says there in verse 8. He says, your faith is being reported all over the world. And I got thinking about that. You can see up on the screen. Is our faith in Jesus visible to others? This is a self-reflection question, one that you can jot down if you'd like, you that are making note of it. Is my faith in Jesus visible to other people? Or would people around you be surprised to know that you're a follower of Jesus? In other words, are you a closet Christian? Or people like, oh, I know them. I may not agree with them, but boy, I know they're, they're a follower of Jesus. Now, it shouldn't be just based on a T-shirt, a bumper sticker, because I have some ways on how can our faith be visible to others, and I'll get to that in a second. But look at this scripture up on the screen, Matthew 5, 16. It says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others. So so they will be really impressed with you. Is that what it says? No. That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our life should give God glory. Our good work should not be to draw attention to ourselves. Look at me. Look at me. Then it's a wrong attitude. We want to let our light shine. We want to do good works, but it's always to point people to Jesus. So here's some things you can see up on the screen. How can our faith be visible to others? By unconditionally loving and serving Jesus and others, number one. That was that fulfillment of the great commandment that Jesus said, love God, love others. Unconditionally love, that agapo love. Unconditionally love and serve Jesus and others. People can see that. By our humble character and living a biblical lifestyle. Now, none of us are perfect, are we? So even when we fail, we have an opportunity to show our faith to others. Because when most people in the world fail, what do they do? They deny it, they hide it, they pretend it didn't happen. You know what? When we fail, what can we do? We can go and apologize. We can ask for forgiveness. None of us are perfect. And even when we fail, we have an opportunity to let our light shine. We can also, by living generously instead of living selfishly, are we just trying to hoard, have as much stuff as possible, or are we content with what we have? And when we get an abundance, we can say, I have an abundance for a reason. How can I use this to further the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's an attitude. It's allowing our faith to be visible to others, that we're generous people. Not, you know, and I believe it's the number one reason why God doesn't want us in debt. You know, because the, the debtor becomes a slave to the lender. Being out of debt gives us freedom. And, uh, you know, there's debt within reason. Most of us have a mortgage. I have a mortgage. But I'm just talking about where we're living within our means so that we can be generous. Next is by being sensitive and meeting the needs of others. When you're at work, 
and somebody begins to tell you about a struggle they're going through, open door. Great opportunity to say, hey, I'd love to talk to you more about it. And pray with them. You know what I've found? I've never had anybody refuse prayer. It's, it's just amazing. They may not be ready to give their life to Jesus, but you can pray. You're letting your faith be visible to others. And when they're ready, a lot more likely to come to you because they know you're a praying Christian. And the other thing, the last thing here on the list, there's more, but just in the sake of time, our joyful attitude and perseverance when going through trials. Everybody can be joyful when things are going right, am I right? But what about when things aren't going right, when we're going through a trial? Do you know we have the opportunity to let our light shine even brighter when we're going through a trial? When we don't give up, when we persevere and we have an attitude of joy? And I'm not talking about we're happy for the trial. Bring it on, bring it on, oh, this is great. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about we have a peace. We have a joy of the Lord as our strength in the midst of our trial. Sets us apart from the world. So those are some ways that we can uh, um, have our faith visible to others. And obviously this church did because Paul talked about it there in verse 8. Let's keep going, verse 11. Paul says, I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had amongst the other Gentiles. See, everywhere Paul went, he saw a harvest. He saw revival break out, churches started, and he wanted to go to Rome and see that happen so badly. But like you see here, he was prevented from doing that. So he's going to impart this through this letter, this greatest letter ever, and he wants to impart some type of spiritual gift. When we get into uh, Romans 12, we're going to get into some spiritual gifts that are listed in, in, in chapter 12. And it's, it's really great because we all have these different gifts. Uh, but he wanted to stir them up, and he wanted to be encouraged as well as encourage others. And I think that's always great. When we're with another uh, person, we should encourage them, and we should also re re receive encouragement back. I know every time I ever go to the hospital, I don't go too often. You know, other people do. That's more of their ministry and so forth. But when I go to the hospital, when they're godly people, you know what? I walk away feeling like, man, I don't think I encourage them as much as I, they encourage me. Have you ever done that? You're like, man, with what you've gone through, you should be down. And, I'm, and it's like, Mo, you're upbeat, you're positive, you're praying for me. How can I pray for you, Pastor? I'm like, well, I came here to pray for you. But see, that should be our attitude with people, even when we are going through difficult times. And I'm not talking about fake it. I'm talking about it should be real, coming from our heart, that we can encourage others. This is what Paul, and remember, did Paul ever go through hard times? He was encouraging people from prison. I don't think I have that faith yet. But he would be in the toughest places, still preaching the gospel, still encouraging others. Let's go on. Verse 14. He says, oh, this is what I talked about at the beginning of the message. He says, I'm obligated. Let's just stop there. I'm obligated. This was Paul's heart, his, his attitude. What this means in the original language was he was a debtor. 
He had a debt. Who was his debt to? Jesus. He realized how much of a sinner he was. Remember, he was persecuting Christians all the way to death. In his day, he was a terrorist. But Jesus saved him. And as a result, he had so much appreciation for what Jesus did. He was, he was an obligation like, man, I'm so indebted to Jesus. I want to serve him. I want to reach the, the world for Christ. So he says, I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I hope as they were reading this letter, they weren't thinking, uh, is he talking about us being the foolish ones? Or are we the wise ones? <laughs> if he's writing that to you, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Which, which, which one are, am I? Which one are you thinking? Okay, But uh, obviously, you know what I, what I see there in Paul's life is you don't see any prejudice. You know what Paul saw? He saw just like what there is. There's one race, the human race. Okay, We can have our different cultures, and it's great to celebrate our cultures, but we're one race, equal in God's eyes, equal in value. Paul said he's obligated to everyone. It didn't make any difference. And in those days, there was a lot of differences that the world had based on education, based on nationalities, and so forth. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I love what it says there in verse 16. He was not ashamed of the gospel. He saw it was not, it didn't bring the power. It was the power. The gospel has the power of God and it brings salvation to us, everyone who believes. I'll be teaching this weekend and we're going to talk about that word believe because it's, it's, a, it's a deep word. Has a deep meaning. I'm not going to go into it. You've got to stay tuned for this weekend. Don't, don't skip. But look what it says. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That's because Jesus came first to Israel. And then the gospel went out from there. Some of the Jews accepted. Many of them rejected. And then the gospel went out. But even in the Old Testament, it was prophesied that the gospel was going to go to the Jews and the Gentiles. This wasn't like, oh, I have to be plan B because they rejected. No, God knew ahead of time. He wanted the whole world. His desire is that no one perish, that all men come into repentance. But he first came to the Jews, and we're going to get into that as we get into chapters 9 through 11 about Israel and the importance that Israel had, and you'll see why he first uh, wanted to go to them. So here's our next point, is that be bold and confident as we base our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you bold and confident in the gospel? Do you know the gospel inside and out? I hope you do. And if you don't, I hope that as we go through this teaching, you're going to know beyond a shadow of doubt what the gospel is. Somebody asks you, what is the hope you have? What is the gospel? You'll be able to say it, and you say it with confidence. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there right now. The world is divided. Our country is divided. And many churches are divided on different issues. I will be bold when I have a chapter and verse to go with it. But there are some things that are just opinions. Don't have the same level of boldness and confidence on an opinion that you have as on the Word of God. And I've seen some people get kind of those things mixed up. 
They're maybe bold with things, there are their opinions, and maybe they're, they're holding back a little bit on things that they should be bold on, the, the Word of God. You, you understand what I'm talking about? So be bold and confident in the gospel. It should be the driver of our life. We base our lives on it. Our eternal life is because of the gospel. But if there's other things out there, we can have opinions. I have opinions on various stuff, but I won't be that bold on them because maybe I'm wrong. But I'm, never, I'm not wrong if I base it on a chapter and verse. And it's very clear, and it's not contradicted by another chapter and verse, by the way. Okay? Verse 17. For the gospel... For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That means from beginning to end. Our lives, the righteousness that we have is all based on the gospel. And just as it is written, probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, the righteous will live by faith. I'll come back to that last part, the righteous will live by faith. We see here the righteousness. We see our theme for our book, the righteousness revealed. We see it right here, the righteousness of God revealed, a righteousness that's by faith. Look at a couple of verses that I have up on the screen. Well, the first one is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If, you, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior tonight, you are the righteousness of God. You not will become, you are the righteousness of God. And why is that important? Because it allows you to be bold and confident with the gospel. If you're walking around like, oh, I'm just a sinner that's saved by grace. Oh, I'm just a sinner. I just, oh, I don't know. I don't feel very righteous. Oh, don't go by your feelings. You are the righteousness of God. That's why you can have that boldness. That, Paul had it, didn't he? He understood, and he wants us to have that. And remember, there's a difference between boldness and brashness. We're not talking about being brash. We're talking about being bold. You can lovingly be bold, and that's the way Jesus was. He loved people. He had compassion with people while he was bold. So God made Jesus to be sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. Uh, I have another little uh, thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Faith is like our hands open to receive God's gift. I was just trying to picture this because it's talked about faith. The faith to receive it. The faith that is not from our... It's faith from the beginning to the end there in verse 17, from first to last. Our faith is like our hands open. Why? Because what we receive is a gift from God. It's not like I'm working really hard for it. It's not like you owe it to me, God, because I'm working. It's, it's an earned wage. No, it's a gift. It's like our faith is, okay, God, I want what you have for me. When you're picturing faith, I want you to picture your hands open. God, I want to receive from you that righteousness that comes through the gospel. And look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. It says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith. You see those two working together, grace and faith. Remember, faith is we receive it by faith, but grace is we, we that's a gift. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. 
We can never work for it. We can never be good enough for it. It is a gift that God gives to us. Now, the last part of verse 17, we're getting ready to come to a close here, but this is our last verse, verse 17. It says, the righteous will live by faith. This little part in Romans is what started the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther got to reading this, rereading this, rereading this. This verse is actually found in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. It's also found in the book of Galatians. It's also found in the book of Hebrews. The righteous will live by faith. Prior to that time, the righteous were working their way. It was a works-based. Let me just back up a little bit. How you became righteous was by doing, by giving, by you working. And the light came on for Martin Luther said, no, it's not based on our works. It's not by us paying money to the church, by paying penance. It's by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And that was revolutionary. And that's what started the whole Protestant Reformation. That little part there. And what's really interesting, I, I told you it came in Habakkuk 2.4. We know that the book of Romans is all about righteousness. The righteous. The book of Galatians, where it's found next, is about living. Living in the Spirit. Living in grace. And the book of Hebrews, what's Hebrews known for? Faith. And it's really interesting. I, I learned this early on in my Christian walk, and I, I, it's, never, it's never left me. The righteous live by faith. Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, righteousness in, in Romans, living in Galatians, and faith in Hebrews. It was almost like God gave us a little uh, outline to utilize for those three books, that it's that important. What, if, what is mankind always wanting to revert back to? Works. What is religion based on? Works. What a lot of times religious leaders like people to do? Works. Do you know that you can manipulate people if you don't preach about grace and you just teach them about works and kind of work for it. You can manipulate people. You can get people to do stuff. Sometimes people think this. You know, if, you, if all you ever do is pre- preach grace, people just go wild. They'll live where, however they want. Not if they truly understand grace. My motivation for Jesus, for living for Jesus, is because of appreciation for what he's given to me. It's not, I'm, trying not, I'm not trying to work for anything. I've devoted my life for 41 years to living for Jesus Christ. And it's not because I'm trying to work to some level. Because I appreciate for what he's done for me. If you really understand grace, it will motivate you to want to serve. If you're caught up into works, you're always going to feel this obligation. You know, I know I should. I know I should have to. I should give. I know I should serve. I should get, you know, whatever the church is saying. No, no, no. You want to respond because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen? For some of you, that's going to set you free right there. Because you may have come from a religion where it was a lot, or maybe even a Christian church that was manipulating you with works. I hope you don't see that here in this church. 
I hope what you see is us preaching a message of grace. Now, we're going to talk about different ways to serve and give and do different things. But it's just giving you opportunities to see these are the ways you can do it. Not that we're twisting anybody's arms here. Here's the last thing. The gospel reveals the faith that faith in Jesus is the only way to be in a right relationship with the Father. That's what the gospel reveals. It's the only way. And we're going to get into that a lot more this week in John 14. I'm really excited for this weekend's message. Um, because it is the only way. Jesus says in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by the Son, by Jesus. The gospel is the only way. And we have that. We know that. We want to live by faith and appreciate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this great book of Romans, Lord. I'm excited for what you're going to do in all of our lives this fall as we're going through this book. And I pray, Lord, that you just stir us up. Help us to to live our lives by faith, responding to your grace. Help us to have that full assurance of knowing that we are in a right relationship with you, that we have received the righteousness of God, that we are the righteousness of God because of what Jesus Christ did, that it's not based on our feelings, it's not based on our activities. It's based on what you did, Jesus, and we thank you for it. Help us to be those servants, those servants that are serving you out of appreciation for what you've done. Help us to be bold and unashamed of the gospel. I pray that you'd help us to live by faith. We can just appreciate our salvation. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, and and I just pray if you're here and you want to, come up and see me at the end of the service. I'd love to pray with you. If you're there online, I think a phone number will pop up there. You can make a call and somebody be glad to pray with you online. Because we want to give you that opportunity where you can be a follower of Jesus Christ if you're not. For all of us who are, we just thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said? Amen. Amen. God bless you all.